There are few things on earth that generate more conversation than wine. For many, the thirst for wine knowledge becomes an obsession, and it's hard to imagine that anyone has fully ingested all there is to know about the world's most revered beverage. We all know people who are passionate about sharing that knowledge and their opinions about wine. But we find an awful lot of the conversations about wine pretty hard to swallow. Welcome to Grape Encounters. Your host, David Wilson, his guests, and the rest of us on the team are here to show you a great time. How to have more fun with your wine. Where to enjoy wine the most. How to immerse yourself into a wine lifestyle that isn't simply about wine. So let's dive into this week's edition of Grape Encounters. Oh, you'll learn plenty, but hopefully it will be knowledge that you can really use. Not like that Latin class you took in high school. Here's your wine captain, David Wilson. Well, it wasn't that long ago, maybe a dozen years ago, that I was a little down on wine medals, wine scores, wine competitions, anything that put some sort of value or ranking or rating on wines because I was a little skeptical about it for a big part of my life. But times have changed. As a lot of you know, I judge a number of wine competitions, have so many of my friends are also wine judges, wine makers, and are involved in the whole judging circuit. And now I actually preach the gospel of wine medals especially for a number of really important reasons and I'm going to get into that in just a second but before I do that I want to introduce somebody to you who I've wanted to have on the show for quite some time now she is a fellow wine judge but way more than that her name is Spready Valente she's a certified sommelier a wine buyer wine consultant professional wine judge she's served in numerous prestigious wine competitions including some that I'm involved with and she's done it all over the world here in California where I'm at she judges the San Francisco Chronicle competition the LA International Wine Competition the Sunset Magazine Wine Competition which was one of my favorites the International Women's Wine Competition it goes on and spready I can't even get through this list it's too many it's too much <laughs> well thank you thank you so much for having me the wine competition is definitely something I truly believe in so let's talk about the competition that is the subject of our discussion today and it's the competition that i've never judged and i'm so excited because it's in my old stomping grounds that i haven't had a chance to return to for i'm gonna say like seven years now so i'm giddy at the idea of coming out to what we know as the Inland Empire in California and being a part of the Pacific Rim Wine Competition for 2020. And you're the big boss, the big kahuna when it comes to judges. So thanks for letting me in. Well, I got to tell you, we were so excited to have you join us when I told the panel and basically the board that we were going to have you over. Everybody was really excited. So we are excited to bring your enthusiasm, your happiness, and the belief that, you know, that you can tell people how good wine competitions are for the general consumer. We're so excited to have you. Well, I think they become more and more important all the time, too, because with the sheer amount of information that is at our fingertips when it comes to wine, 
fine. There's a good side and bad side to it. The good side is, wow, look at all the information out there. But the bad part of it is trying to filter through it and determine whether some blogger who you've never heard of before is competent in terms of evaluating a wine versus looking at the results of a competition like the Pacific Rim competition where you've got some really top judges that you know you can trust. Oh, gosh. I hope you let me brag a little because I spend a lot of time in truly studying what each of the judges does, what the expertise is. And when I put those panels together, I'm thinking of the consumer. I may have a winemaker, a wine writer, and a sommelier at the table. And I'll even include chefs in the mix right. because I think that when we award a medal to a wine, it means something. It truly comes with a stamp of approval from almost every aspect of the wine industry, which to me is the strongest medal you can award to a wine. By the way, those are the best panels to be on where there is a chef, a winemaker, a sommelier, a journalist like myself. The broader the talent of the panel, I think the better result that you're going to get because each of these people is coming at it from a different perspective. Absolutely. It has been my experience judging other competitions, not just running one. When I'm sitting in a panel where I may have someone who comes with a scientific background in wine, somebody comes with a cooking background in wine, all of these things actually allow for the judges to expand their knowledge in wine. It makes even better advocates for the consumer. So somebody who has judged your competition, I think quite a lot, and he's a dear friend, and I have been on multiple panels with him, is Gary Eberly. Absolutely, and Mr. Eberly. He is an absolute treasure to have in the competition. Here's what I love about Gary. First of all, he is a legend in the wine business on the Central Coast oh, of California. And by the way, I might add, I know Gary's not judging this year, but I use him as an example because here's a guy that is a legend in the wine business, has you know been making astonishing wines for a really, really long time. He can sense things in a wine that are completely lost on everybody else. They are subtle little flaws, or maybe they're subtle little bright spots. And it's nice to be sitting at a table with somebody like him who's going, now hang on, guys, pay attention, because there's something that might be slipping past you, and you may change your attitude about this wine based on this one little detail. And, you know, sure enough, we all sort of zero in on what a judge like that, who has that incredible knack for finding these little nuances that aren't always good, we all become better judges because of that. Now we're looking for it. We couldn't put our finger on... Why it was that it, this wine wasn't quite hitting us right, but we wanted it to. You know what I'm saying? Yes, absolutely. One of the trends that I've seen in competitions in the most recent year is to start retiring some of our older judges. And I find that to be a huge mistake because I think that these guys that have been judging for 30 years plus have so much to teach all of us that are coming up. And Gary is an example of that. He is very quick to point out when we're missing something about a wine, but he does it in a manner that makes you appreciate the information that is being shared with you. So in the same breath there, we have people like Dr. Peterson, who's Heidi Barrett's father. And Heidi Barrett's going to be joining us this year as well. Oh, is that right? Wow. Absolutely. Again, you know, it's one of my bragging rights for this year. We have an amazing group of people. In the sommelier realm, we have Fred. Dane, Master Sommelier, was basically one of the founders of the U.S. chapter of the Court of Master Sommeliers. You know, I trained under him, so I am very, very honored that he is accepted to judge with us and has been for many, many years. And he, of course, has attained 
godlike status. Absolutely. There are few people that ever acquire the kind of credentials that somebody like Fred Dame has acquired. But anyway, let's go back to what really happens at a wine competition. And, you know, we've covered this over the years, but I don't think that for the average consumer, when I say average consumer, I'm talking about somebody that loves wine, really enjoys it, but is not obsessed with it. And I think for the, for the average consumer, when they're standing in a place like Total Wine and More or, you know, their local wine shop and they see either on a shelf talker or, you know, printed right on the bottle that this wine has won a gold medal at a respected competition, I don't think that people necessarily know what was the process to get there. It's, Thank it's, you it's, for a quick little synopsis of what happened. Okay, hold the thought, though, because guess what? we got to go to a commercial break. Of course, <laughs> no problem. I'll be here. Those commercials, they're very important. They keep the show on the air. And plus, the only people who have commercials on my show are people who have mm-hmm. good stuff to sell. That's awesome. Really good stuff. We're talking to Spready Valente. She's a certified sommelier. She's been a wine buyer for many, many years, a professional wine judge, a consultant, an educator, and one of those people that you look forward to seeing at wine competitions because she's always got a great big ginormous smile on her face. Is that because you swallow the wine and don't spit or what? It's because I truly enjoy my work. <laughs> there are many times when I'm sitting at a competition competition and cannot believe that I'm getting paid to do that. Isn't that a wonderful thing? I I will say this, that in these competitions, in many cases, we may taste virtually hundreds of wines. People will often say to me, and I'm sure you get this as well, oh, you lucky duck, you get to taste all those wines. But it is laborious after a while, and it would be nice if we got to swallow more of it. Professionals don't do that. We spit, right? No, we don't. Each wine deserves a fair shake, and that requires us to be a full sound mind and palate, and that's why it's necessary to sit, so that each wine receives the fair shape we can give it. No matter how much I try to convince listeners that this is work, it's work, they're sitting back going, yeah, sure. (laughs) This is how I see wine judging. It's kind of like finding the perfect mate. You have to kiss a lot of frogs to find your friends. That's what wine judging is like. Sometimes you kiss a lot of frogs and you find that one diamond and you awarded that medal. And you tell people, this is the one you should be drinking. Unless you're in love with frogs. True. (laughs) We're going to come back in just a second with uh, more Grape Encounters and my guest, Spready Valente. We're talking about an upcoming competition. My first time to judge this one, but there are a lot of really cool things about the Pacific Rim Wine Competition. And I'll tell you what some of those things are. And really want to give you some important insights into why you want to pay attention to medals especially, even more than scores, when we return with Grape Encounters. Welcome back to Grape Encounters Radio, broadcasting from our Central Coast Wine Country studio in idyllic Atascadero, California. Grape Encounters is brought to you by Total Wine & More, America's largest independent retailer of fine wine. They carry more than 8,000 different wines from every wine-producing region in the world and offer an equally monumental selection of beer and spirits. Here's David. Now, I know for a fact 
that a lot of people, I don't know if it's the majority, but a huge number of people who enjoy wine, who go to their local retail shop, whether it's a, a wine shop or a grocery store, wherever you get your wines, they see that this wine has won medals or it's gotten high scores. And I know that a lot of people are skeptical about what that really means, or perhaps they don't even know what the process was to get there, let alone why it is so important to all of us. And that is why I have on today Spready Valente. She's the chief judge for the Pacific Rim Wine Competition, and she is also one of those people that brings a lot of joy and fun to these competitions, and we cross paths a fairly significant amount of time. And Spready, it's nice to have you here. And I, I really appreciate you being on and helping us to kind of sort through what all these numbers and color medals and what all of this really means to the consumer. Thank you so much for having me. Let's start with the wines themselves. You know, a wine competition is only as good as the wines that are entered into the competition and the people who are judging those wines. And if you don't have those two elements right, and if you're not focusing a lot of attention on quality in both regards, then it's all very pointless, right? I think that the whole world of wine has been very much a mystery for a lot of consumers. And I appreciate you doing this kind of show because I think that it's important for people to look not just, just like wineries do. They look to see who your judges are, what the process is. So that when they enter the wines, they know they're getting the best shot possible. I think the, the first thing that probably people don't really realize about the competitions is, for the most part, pretty much all of them are in the blind, meaning that as a judge, I don't know who made the wine. In a lot of cases, I may know where it came from in terms of region. I probably know the varietal. But beyond that, I could be drinking, in some cases, a $100 wine. I could be drinking a $5 wine. And that's the joy of it because it's one thing when you sit down and you're looking at a bottle of, let's say, Opus One or Screaming Eagle in front of you, you know, expensive wines that have tremendous reputations, and you go, well, it's got to be great, and it skews your opinion of the wine because you know the reputation. But when it's just one of, you know, let's say, 8 or 10 or 12 glasses at a time that you're tasting, and you don't know anything about it, it's very exciting when you award a gold medal to a wine and then later when you see the results, you realize that you just gave a gold medal to a small boutique wine made by mom and pop winemakers and they outperformed some of the big names. Right. And uh, that's kind of one of the joys for me to have a competition is submitting the wines to my panels in a blind manner. We introduce our judges to the wines only knowing the varietal, a price point or a price range rather. Right. Yeah. And occasionally, if it's a blend, we might actually disclose the blend in it. Right. But that's about it. We allow them to judge the wine for how good it is to drink. And it overflows me with joy as my previous life as a buyer, because I always look for those wines that the consumer could have a great bottle of wine for about 20 bucks. So when something like that gets a medal in my competition, it kind of confirms that, that the consumer does not need to mortgage a house in order to have a great bottle of wine. 
that's not to say that the $300 and $400 bottle of wines have nothing wrong with them. It's just that not everybody can pop a $300 bottle of wine every night or like total wine. And you're looking at the millions of bottles in front of you and you see a gold medal in there. And that wine is $15. And if it comes from Pacific Rim, you can be assured that that wine was truly put to the test and that a whole panel of people thought that wine deserved the medal. You can open that bottle and drink it and enjoy it. And it feels really good because you only spend $15 of wine and dollars for a bottle of wine, but you are enjoying it. Yeah. And here's where it gets, I think, really super fun is that judges all have their own strategy for judging. And I had mentioned to you before we came on the air that I oftentimes like to look at wine from the standpoint of what kind of emotional response does it bring about in me? Because if it makes me happy, if it puts a smile on my face, if it makes my tummy smile, and I just get this just sense of goodness all the way around, you know what? That's good enough for me. I don't need to know. You don't have to describe the wine in terms of things that it tastes like, because in the final analysis, it makes me happy and I'm loving enjoying that wine. And exactly. Where and then you'll have another judge who will give a lot of credence to how varietally correct the wine is. And by the way, this is an area where I sometimes part company with other judges because I have this like weird philosophy that if I gave 50 chefs 50 chickens and I said, come back in three hours and give me your best interpretation of a chicken dish. I might have chicken parmesan. I might have chicken piccata. I might have macaroni and cheese with chicken in it. You know what I'm saying? They're all going to be different, whereas there are a lot of judges who would say, look, here's what a Cabernet Sauvignon is really supposed to taste like. So the closer that each winemaker gets to that profile, the better job they're doing. And I sometimes have to say, phooey. Maybe it's not all, maybe it's not all about that. That's why it's important to have a well-educated, versatile, amiable panel that can discuss this within themselves. Because again, like you said, you know, you can have a different example of Cabernet, but when someone is truly educated and is able to impart that information to, let's say, another panel member, right. they might be able to see it from the point of view of that panel member. Maybe that panel member is up, it's in the buying portion of the wine industry. Right. And they can convey to them how this is a style of wine that is truly selling right now. And, you know, everybody can learn. And again, we all become these advocates all right, so we're going to have to take a little break again. Boy, time flies when you're having fun. But, sure um, does. I'm uh, loving this. You, you, you can stay with me a little bit longer, right? We had planned on wrapping it up uh, at this point, but we're going to keep going because there are some very important things that I want to ask you as we get a little further into the, the topic of wine competitions, specifically competitions where there are medals involved. And by the way, there are actually scores involved as well with many, if not most of these competitions, but they're translated into medals, and we'll talk about how that all works in just a second. But I want you to know what happens from the time that requests go out for people to submit wines for evaluation in the competition to the time that those results are actually published for the general public to be able to read and benefit from. So we're going to go from soup to nuts spreading. 
You okay. got it. Okay. My guest, Freddie Valente, certified SOM, wine buyer, all around nice person, by the way, but somebody who judges a lot of competitions all over the world and so glad to have her on Grape Encounters. And we'll be back with more in just a second. So stay with me. With Grape Encounters Radio, which, by the way, is brought to you by Total Wine and More. There is no way if you enjoy wine. I should say this. Even if you don't enjoy wine, there's no way you could go to a Total Wine and More store and not find something that you dearly love. 8,000 wines and climbing in terms of numbers. Thousands of beers. Spirits as well. Great people who know what they're doing. There's going to be... Lots and lots of stuff there that you're going to love. And if you're not familiar with Total Wine and More, go to TotalWine.com and check out everything that they have to offer. And by the way, you'll find all kinds of cool stuff, recipes, pairing suggestions, things that aren't just about the wine, even accessories. So please check it out, TotalWine.com. And if you haven't been to a Total Wine store, they can guide you to where the closest one is for you. In the meantime, we're talking about the Pacific Rim wine competition and the head wine judge there is Spready Valente and she has amazing credentials very very highly respected fun person to be around and she really really is involved I think in a really awesome competition because they really bring in an interesting selection of wines from around the globe how does that work Spready I mean how do you get so many entries from out of the country, for instance? Well, we've had the support of a lot of, uh, you know, it's, it's our 35th year. We have developed quite the reputation in the years. So as the years have passed and wineries have won medals and they've been able to market their wine through those medals, they told a friend and so on and so on. But we open it up through our website. We have our entry portal on our website, which, by the way, if I may, it's www.pacificrimwinecomp.com. We have our entry form in there where the wineries can enter the wines and they can choose from all the available varietals they can enter and tell us all about the wines and then I get to approve that but let me tell you a little bit we start working on the competition in November of, of for example for this year we had our kickoff meeting in November wow. and that's when we start planning how we're going to reach out to wineries we do mailers regular old-fashioned mailers we also do emails and this year we are adding a visiting some of these winery regions. Last year, our director, Nikki, and her husband, who also is the backroom manager, they visited Paso Robles, and they got many people to enter. This year, we are planning on visiting Baja, California, Mexico, so Valle de Guadalupe. We'll be paying them a visit in a couple of weeks and encouraging them to enter our competition because we have a lot of interest on Mexican wines, so why not award them some medals? And I want to make a point of really, really commending the winemakers in Baja for the awesome job that they're doing. And it's really not on very many people's radar just yet. But mark my word, as time goes on in the not too distant future, the wines from Mexico are going to be a force to reckon with that you just can't overlook because they're just doing stunning things down there. And it really is a great place to go visit. Great food, great lodging opportunities, amazing wines, perfect climate for some 
of your favorite varietals. So I'm glad to hear that uh, those wines will be finding their way into more and more competitions. Absolutely. As, as a buyer, I've had the opportunity to visit regions like Paso Robles, like Lodi, like Valle de Guadalupe, Mexico. And each and every time that I buy the wines for our retail shop or my retail clients, I realize that there's so many great wines that people don't know about. So it's part of our plan at Pacific Rim to visit some of these regions and visit the great wineries. I've been lucky enough to sell to my clients and tell them, you need to enter. More people need to know about these wines. So this is one way for them to put themselves in front of consumers by telling the world that not just the winemaker thought the wine was great, that not just this little wine buyer thought the wine was great, but a whole panel, a whole competition thinks your wine is great. And, and you know, a very, very important thing to point out here is the fact that a winemaker has to make the conscious decision to enter their wine. They probably know better than anybody else whether they've got uh, something that's stunning or stinker. And I don't think any winemaker consciously enters a terrible wine into a competition. Now, I will say I've tasted some horrible wines in competitions, and I say to myself, why? Why did they enter it? But the biggest amount of filtration goes on right there at the beginning where you've got the people who are making the wine saying, I believe in this wine that I made here, and I think we're a standout, and I want to see how we compare with other wines out there in the in the same class. So just by virtue of the wines being in a competition, there's been some careful consideration that's gone into that decision to enter the wine. That's important, Uh, right? We ask our wineries to enter four bottles of wine. And why is that? Because occasionally there may be a fault in the bottle in one particular bottle, like corking. You know, a bottle may be corked. And so, again, you know, we want to give each bottle the fairest shape they can get. So if we find that a wine has some sort of flaw, usually a member of the panel will call it out to an attendant, and then that ticket goes back and we re-pour that wine from a new bottle. That is to ensure that that wine is going to get the fairest of all shakes as they're being judged. So, you know, and occasionally there are some wines that you go through all four bottles and it's uh, fatally flawed, in which case you don't award it any medals. I have seen, though, in competitions more times than you can possibly imagine where we all sipped this particular glass of wine and we all just got this horrible look on our face and said, oh, you've got to be kidding. There's something terribly wrong with this. And then we call for a fresh bottle and now the wine just went from being unpalatable to being extraordinarily delicious yeah. and, and maybe even walks away with a gold medal. And it's important. Uh, it happened to me recently yeah. in a competition about a month ago where wine came in and it was just so horribly flawed. So uh, unanimously, we decided to order the second bottle. Well, the second bottle was so beautiful. We all awarded it a double gold because it wow. was just such a beautiful bottle. Now, if we had left it at the first bottle, that wine would have been, unfortunately, not gotten any well. But, it, you know, again, that's why it's important to submit more than one bottle when you enter a wine competition. That's why these competitions ask you to enter more than one bottle. Some yeah. people forget that a bottle of wine is, is kind of still a living product, and it can change in many ways. It, it, it's a delicate product. Heat. Certain things can make it change. That's why it's necessary to have well-versed and well-educated judges on your panel. You know what? A wine can sometimes be even more delicate than my ego. (laughs) Oh, gosh. 
Hey, Spready, we're running out of time, but we're going to be checking in with you periodically until we get to the middle of April. And uh, we're going to have some really, really, really good times at this competition. I am so glad to be coming. Again, like I said at the beginning, this is my old stomping ground. So I'll get a chance to visit some old friends while I'm there as well. And you're going to be a busy boy. A lot of great people at this competition that are just can't wait to get their hands on all these amazing wines entering. Two things I want to say. First of all, mm-hmm. I, I know we have a lot, a lot of people in the industry that do listen to this show. So by all means, if you have not submitted to the Pacific Rim Wine Competition in the past, you really want to check it out. And the website, again, is Pacific Rim Wine Comp, C-O-M-P dot com. So you still have a little bit of time, uh, what, uh, roughly a month, let's say, to enter? Is yeah, it, is that so right? the deadline to enter is March 27th. So yeah, get your wines in, get entered, and then the wines need to be received by April 4th. We will be doing the judging April 15th and 16th, so on tax day, we'll be tasting all those wines. Okay, and then the other thing I wanted to make sure that we pass along to our listeners is you should go to PacificRimWineComp.com and look for the tab that says results. And there are 34 pages, I believe, of results that are listed there, wines from all over the world. Uh, What's amazing is wines from some very interesting parts of America that aren't limited to California, even though California makes 90% of the domestically produced and consumed wine. But there are lots of other places out there that are making terrific uh, wine that can give you some insight into what's off the beaten path. And I really encourage you to go to the website for Pacific Rim Wine Competition. And by the way, same goes for San Francisco Chronicle Competition. Same goes for the LA International Competition. There are great competitions out there. They publish their results and nothing will give you a better way to protect your wine buying investment than seeing what has earned gold medals and silver medals. All right, and some bronze medals. <laughs> I tend to go for the gold. Good too. Yeah, they're fine, but it's all gold for me, spreading. Absolutely. Why Absolutely. Not? My philosophy is all wine start out as gold. They're there to talk me out of it. <laughs> right, that's exactly right. All right, Spready, I got just one more segment. I got to share some other thoughts with listeners, but I certainly appreciate you being on today. My pleasure. Thank you for allowing me to share my joy and passion that I get from wine. Oh, you bet. I can't wait to see you and Uh, This is going to be a real treat to finally get to be a part of the judging panel at this competition. So thanks very much. It is our pleasure having you. We look forward to seeing you. Thanks for including me. Okay. My very special thanks to Spready Valente, who's in charge of the judges at the competition and was kind enough to let me join the panel. We'll be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. We are back with Grape Encounters Radio, and while we try not to take ourselves too serious, I do want to wrap things up on today's show on a serious note because... 
there's no question that so many of us are really thinking very seriously about what's going on around the world with the coronavirus. Some people are downplaying it, but the truth of the matter is, you know, we're losing lives. People are getting sick. We don't know exactly how the virus spreads, and we don't know what the end game is going to be because we can't predict it and we don't have a vaccine. So what we're seeing right now is a lot of panic. And the last thing that I want to do is stir up panic. But you might be asking, well, David, why are you saying there's panic? I'm going to tell you why. A lot of you know that I operate a wine bar. It's called the Grape Encounters Emporium. It's on the central coast of California. I built it six years ago, and it was meant to be, you know, basically a clubhouse for you all. And I've been so proud to have so many of you come from not just all over the U.S., but all over the world. It's been wonderful to meet up with you. But, you know, as people travel about from one place to another, the concern over the spread of the virus gets greater and greater. And something that I've observed in our tourism-based community is the fact that a lot of businesses are starting to see a really serious drop in customer traffic. And the same has been true for our business, the Grape Encounters Emporium. It's off quite a lot. And I wondered whether or not it had anything to do with the coronavirus. And I I think actually it probably does. And here's why I say that. I wrote something on social media yesterday that I thought was very important. And it has to do with what I think the responsibility of businesses is, especially when you're in hospitality and you're dealing with consumables like wine and food, etc., where you're handling plates and you need to make sure that things are disinfected. I wrote a pretty long piece just encouraging businesses to do everything that they possibly can to make sure that you all feel very comfortable when you go into a place and you drink from a glass or eat from a plate and you feel like you are being protected. Now, why do I feel that there's a panic? And it's not a panic that's really super obvious, but I went out to buy some stuff that we keep in stock here all the time to make sure that we're doing a good job in terms of disinfecting our place of business, Clorox wipes, and we always keep hand sanitizer around, things like that. Well, I went to five different places and discovered bare shelves. I could not find even an ounce of hand sanitizer in our community, which is hundreds of miles away from any place that has had any cases of infection. And that really seriously concerned me because it says to me that consumers are very uneasy. And looking around and seeing that businesses are having a serious reduction in traffic, not just in our area, but in talking to people all over who operate businesses where a lot of people come to enjoy themselves, come to play. It says to me that there is a concern on the part of the consumer and that we as business people need to be very vigilant in making sure that we not only make safety and prevention job one, but that we also make sure that our customers have a high level of confidence in what we're doing to protect them. Oh, and get this. I go online to Amazon.com to see if I could get hand sanitizer and all the supplies that I needed there. Talk about price gouging. 
a lot of their vendors were charging as much as a couple hundred dollars just for a couple ounces of hand sanitizer. And in one case, they were charging between four and five hundred dollars to ship it overnight. I know Amazon's trying to do something about it, but oh, talk about bad. I was able to buy hand sanitizer in bulk from an apothecary uh, supply house. So we'll have plenty of it in our place. So I certainly don't want to see people stop going out and having fun. Wine is such a pleasurable thing, and there are so many places that you could go to, you know, wine bars, tasting rooms, restaurants, and so on. But what we don't need is hysteria. And what we do need is for operators of those kinds of hospitality-related businesses to make sure that they let their customers know exactly what they're doing to protect the customer from the spread of viruses. And by the way, it's not just the coronavirus. I mean, we need to do this 24-7 because we do have flu seasons. We do have cold seasons. And those things take lives too. And I just think that we cannot cut corners when it comes to providing the highest level of safety to our customers. So what I encourage you to do as a consumer, get in the habit of asking the folks who operate businesses that you frequent, you know, where you could have exposure to, you know, those kinds of ugly little germs, you know, ask them, what are you doing? What are your safety practices? And more importantly, and because we have so many people who listen to this show who do operate businesses, who do work in the wine industry, who do have wine bars, etc., make sure that you not only walk the walk, but also make sure that you let your customers know that you're doing everything you possibly can to keep them safe. None of us want to stop living the life that we're used to living and stay home and watch television all the time because we're fearful of going to the movie theater, the wine bar, the restaurant, and so on. But we're definitely already seeing the signs of people being a lot more cautious about what they touch, where they go, uh, where they spend time. Also, and this is really super important, if you are ill, and I'm not talking about necessarily the coronavirus, but if you're ill, maybe the time has come for us to become a lot more conscientious about our obligation to not go out, to stay home, to get well. And, you know, I've heard some folks say, oh, the coronavirus doesn't hurt too many people. So, you know, it's mild in most cases. So you can just go to work. No, you can't just go to work because there may be somebody that's uh, not in the best of health where you work. And if you were to carry the virus, you could take a life. That's what I have to say about it. It's my opinion. You might not agree. Uh, certainly would love to hear back from you on this, but I think it's the least that we can do. So you take care of yourself and I'll see you back here next week. Okay. Be safe. That's going to do it for Grape Encounters. I appreciate you listening. I also appreciate Total Wine and more because they are the sponsor of this show. They make it possible for us to be on the air. They're an absolutely wonderful company and talk about conscientious. I don't know of any company that does their job better than Total Wine and more. Whatever you want, wine-wise, whatever you want, beer and spirit-wise, they've got it, but they also have the expertise to make your experience there really, really terrific. We'll be back with more Grape Encounters next week. We'll see you then. Music.